Well, good morning, Valley Bible Church family. We are so thankful to be here. I was already losing my voice the first service, and I was trying to find someone to blame. And so I think I'm going to blame the worship team. Uh, so when you do What a Beautiful Name It Is and The Blessing, how do you expect the preacher to have anything left uh, to be able to speak for a few minutes uh, after singing those two wonderful songs? Uh, but we are so thankful to be here. Uh, it's official now, so you're not going to be able to get rid of us. Uh, and the fact that it's official, I can tell you how we really feel about you. And if you'd like to know how we really feel about you, we love you. Uh, and it's just been a blessing. It's been a blessing to us to be here, uh, even in the few weeks that we've enjoyed uh, being a part of this church. I think there's been so many ways that you've just already welcomed us as family. Uh, and so we're thankful to all of you. We're thankful that you welcomed us as family. Even just on a car ride, I was telling uh, Rhonda, my wife, just how much we've needed to be here. There's things about this body that we've already benefited from being a part of it. And so we are so thankful to be here. We're so thankful uh, that the Lord uh, has brought this to pass. Uh, speaking of family, I'd also like to just wish uh, my happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Uh, it's a wonderful thing that you do to invest the love of Christ into your children and your grandchildren. And so we're so thankful to all of you. We're also thankful to the many that maybe have been spiritual mothers, even if they couldn't be physical mothers. And I know that's probably many of you as well. I was thinking of Fran Howard this morning and how she was a spiritual mother to hundreds, if not thousands, of children and grandchildren in this church. And so thank you to all of you who are investing in the lives of children, even if they're not your own biological children. If you have your Bibles, please open to John chapter 21. Over the course of the next weeks and months, and Lord willing, years and years, I look forward to getting to know each of you better, and hopefully that you'll have the chance to get to know me better as well. And I'd love to share my testimony with you this morning. We don't have time for the whole thing, but I will say this. One of the biggest things that Christ used to save me was the love of Christ displayed to me by his people when I didn't deserve it. The love of Christ was shown to me at a time when I was cynical, I was depressed, I didn't want anyone to be around, I wanted to push people away, and yet there were people in my life that knew the love of Christ that wouldn't allow me to push them away. And they kept loving me, they kept showing me the love of Christ, they kept sharing the gospel with me, and God used that to save me. It's really the love of Christ that changes everything. And that's what we're going to look at in John 21 today. And this text is really an invitation to experience the love of Christ. It's the culmination of John's gospel. And what he wants you to do, he's inviting you to enjoy the love of Christ. And once you've enjoyed the love of Christ, he wants you then to go in Christ-like service, love other people with that same kind of love. And the incredible thing is that this invitation to know the love of Christ and to share the love of Christ is offered to everyone. Even people that have had great failures in their life. Which is good news, because I think that's probably everyone in this room. That Christ will love you and he'll use you even though you failed him many times. The love of Christ changes everything. Let's read this passage, John 21, 
verses 15 to 19, and then we'll pray. It says, When they had finished finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by which kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Lord, this is an amazing passage about the love of Christ. The love of Christ that would reconcile someone that's failed him, and not only reconcile him, but then use him to shepherd your people. And Lord, this isn't just an invitation for Peter. This is an invitation for us. If we love you, you will use us. You will use us in great ways. So Lord, help us to just remember the love of Christ this morning, to see it again displayed on the cross, to see it displayed even after our failures. And may the love of Christ motivate us to love Christ more. And as we love Christ more, that we would love his sheep more. And that we would love your people with the same kind of love that Christ has shown us. And Lord, as we think about even the last two verses of this passage, that the love of Christ would enable us and give us a desire even to follow you even to places we don't want to go. If it means your glory and the glory of your Son. Lord, speak to us this morning. My words aren't going to do anything in the lives of these people, but your words can do great things. So speak through your word. Speak to our hearts. Shepherd your people now. In Christ's name, amen. The love of Christ changes everything. I really appreciated Matt's sermon last week. I thought it was just a wonderful charge to love Christ, love his word, love others, and love the lost. And so I'm thinking about this message as sort of a prequel to that message. Uh, hopefully it's a good prequel, not like a Star Wars prequel where it uh, just disappoints. Uh, but I was tempted to title this message, Christ Loves You Like He Means It. Because that's really what this passage is all about, the love of Christ. And it's the love of Christ that's going to motivate every other love. The love of Christ will make you love him. The love of Christ will make you love his sheep. The love of Christ will make you love his word and the lost. The love of Christ changes everything. First, the love of Christ produces love for Christ. Now, there's a lot of things going on in this passage, but what I want to look at first is just that basic question that Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? 
And I think this question is significant for a variety of reasons. I think first it's because Peter in the past made some pretty big boasts about his love for Jesus. Right? You remember Peter, right? I'll follow you wherever you go. I will follow you to jail. I will follow you to death. I will follow you even if everyone else falls away. Now, there's a lot that's happened between Peter making those statements and Jesus asking him the question, Now, do you love me? Now, I think the most significant thing that's happened between then and now is not Peter's denials but it's Jesus' work on the cross. Because who did Peter think he was following in Christ's earthly ministry? He thought he was following the Messiah, right? He thought he was following the king. The Psalm 2, that this is God's king as put on his throne. Psalm 110, this is Jesus who's going to execute judgment on all the nations. He's finally going to deliver his people. This is 2 Samuel 7. He's the king that's going to reign forever. That's who Peter wanted Jesus to be. That's actually who Jesus is, but it's not all that he is. Because the most significant thing about Jesus is his work on the cross. And so Jesus is asking him, Peter, you've seen the cross. Do you still love me? You wanted glory. You were following me because what you thought it would bring to you. But I came to lay down my life. John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I came to rescue my sheep even at the cost of my life. No one had to twist my arm. This didn't take me by surprise. No one took my life from me. I laid it down of my own accord to rescue my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Christ also was an example that he was willing to suffer unjustly to benefit people that don't deserve it. He did all of it for people that don't deserve it. Peter didn't understand the heart of why Christ came. He didn't have an Isaiah 53 Jesus in his mind, right? He just had the Psalm 2, Psalm 110, 2 Samuel 7, the King Jesus. That's who he had in his mind. But Jesus is saying, I wasn't just those things. I'm also Isaiah 53 Jesus. The one who would be crushed for your iniquities. The one that would bear your chastisement on myself to free you from your sins. Peter, do you love me? Peter really only thought about Christ in terms of earthly benefits. He didn't understand his ultimate need. He didn't understand that his sins had to be paid for on that cross. Peter needed to understand that Jesus came to give Peter what he ultimately needed, forgiveness through the cross. Peter, this is who I am. This is why I came. Do you love me? Do you love this Jesus? I mean, will he reign forever? Yes. 
Can he heal your brokenness? Yes. Can he fix your marriage? Absolutely. Can he deliver you from any addiction? Yes. He's the only one who can. And all of these things make him glorious. But do you love him because he sacrificed himself on the cross to pay for your sins? That's who he is. Do you love this Jesus? The one who died in your place. That's the heart of who he is. He didn't just come to heal your brokenness and because you were helpless. He didn't just come because you made a mess of your life and a mess of other people's lives. He came so that you could be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Do you love this Jesus? The one who gave himself for you. This is who he is. This is the love of Christ on full display that he gave himself on the cross. And that's who Jesus is asking Peter, is this the Jesus you love? So the love of Christ has been displayed on the cross, but I think what's so touching about this scene to all of us is that the love of Christ is displayed even after failure. You know, Peter's mistakes, Peter's failures, they didn't happen before he knew Christ. They happened as he was a follower of Christ. And so how will the love of Christ respond to the failure of his people? Say, I already, you were already following me. You blew it. You're done. I'm not going to forgive you. It's like you already had every chance you needed. You're not going to be able to follow me anymore. But of course, that's not how Jesus responds. But I want you just to paint the picture. Imagine yourself in Peter's shoes, right? Imagine you've made those boasts. Maybe you have made those boasts. I love you way more than anybody else. I'd follow Christ to the very end. Even if it means pain, even if it means jail, even if it means death, I'll follow him. If everyone else were to fall away, I would still follow him. And what happened to Peter just a little while after that conversation? He's gathered around a charcoal fire, and a servant girl says, Hey, weren't you one of the ones that were following Jesus? And Peter says, No, that wasn't me. And then some more officers are there, other servants. Hey, I think we saw you following Jesus. Nope, wasn't me. And then a relative of the guy that Peter tried to behead asks him, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And Peter says, no. What happened to, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll follow you to death. I'll follow you to jail, even if no one else will. And so how is Jesus going to respond to someone who's failed him in such a catastrophic way? Well, he prepares another charcoal fire. Look back at verse 9 in chapter 21. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Now, when you first read this, you might think, like, Jesus, that's a little messed up. I mean, come on, you're taking him back to the scene of the crime? It's like, why are you doing this? Are you just going like, to kind of rub his nose in the fact that he denied you three times? But Jesus is not being cruel. He's being kind. Because he doesn't want to just pretend like this sin never happened. 
He's not just going to put it under the rug. No, he wants Peter to know, I know everything you did. And I'm bringing you back here to, so that you would know that I would know everything you did and that you would see that I'm still offering you forgiveness and reconciliation and fellowship with me and I even still have a job for you after this is all said and done. And so he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? I think Peter's always used to shooting from the hip. He goes, yeah, yeah, I love you. You know it, I love you. So then Jesus asked him a second time, okay, Peter, do you love me? It's like, yes, I just said that a moment ago, so nothing's changed between then and now. I love you. And then Jesus asked a third time, do you love me? And I think it hits Peter like a ton of bricks, right? It says that the third time he was grieved. He realized what Jesus was doing. That Jesus was giving him three opportunities to confess his love for him. So that Peter would know that he loves him even after the three times that he denied him. And aren't you thankful for that? Christ doesn't pretend like your sin doesn't exist. He knows it exists. Sometimes he reminds you of it, not so that you would feel bad, but so that you would know just how loving and kind he is. He loves you even after failure. Did you know that you can't outsin the grace of God? Christ will always receive you. I mean, you may have fallen flat on your face this week. He will still receive you. You might have fallen flat on your face this morning. He will still receive you. You might be someone that has failed Christ more times than you could count. You might think that there's no way that he'll ever love me, let alone use me. You might still come to church, but in the back of your mind, you have this thought, like, there's no way that God really loves me. I failed him way too many times. And Jesus is saying, I love you even after failure. Do you believe that? Christ doesn't lose any of his sheep. You cannot outsin the grace and love of Christ. Now as I look around, it looks like some of you may have tried that. But what do you find? He always brings you back. He always welcomes you back. He always forgives you. And he still wants to use you even after all of it. You cannot outsin the love of Christ. And so you see the love of Christ on display in the cross. You see the love of Christ displayed even after you failed. And what does it make you do? It makes you love him. It produces love for Christ. Because where have you ever found someone that would lay down their life for your sin when you didn't deserve it? And where has, have you ever found someone that even after that, when you fail them, they still love you? There's no one like that. There's no Savior like that out there. Christ alone is the one that loves this way. And so let the love of Christ produce in you love for Christ. Never let the cross get in the rearview mirror of your life. 
If it does, your love for Christ is also going to be in the rearview mirror of your life. Right? Keep the cross central. The love of Christ is what makes you love Christ. So go, always go back to the cross. You know, I'm sure in that moment, in this conversation that Peter has with Jesus, that Peter has never loved Christ more than that moment. In his failure, that Christ would still love him. Peter loves Christ, I'm sure, more than he ever had done before. Even more than when he made those great boasts about how he would follow Christ anywhere, he loves Christ more now than he did back then because he's seen the kind of Savior that Christ is. Now, what's also amazing about this passage is that not only does the love of Christ produce love for Christ, but the love of Christ isn't done with you. Even after you fail, the love of Christ isn't done with you. He still wants to use you to love his people. And so secondly, the love of Christ produces love for his sheep. Right? How does Christ respond each of the times that Peter says that he loves him? Verse 15, feed my lambs. Verse 16, tend my sheep. Verse 17, feed my sheep. You know, there's three ways, I think, in this passage that Christ produces love for his sheep. The first is this, the love of Christ fits you for ministry. The love of Christ fits you for ministry. In fact, Christ knows how to use your failures to fit you for ministry. I mean, notice the first time that Jesus asked the question, what does he say? Peter, do you love me more than these? What's going on? I think what's happening is that Peter has made these great boasts. He's essentially said time and time again, I love you more than all of these other disciples. I don't know about them, but I'm willing to go to jail for you. I'm willing to die for you. All of them, they might fall away. I think they probably will. But I'm never going to fall away. And Jesus asked him the question, So, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? What's Jesus doing? He's humbling Peter. And the crazy thing is, he's not just humbling him for the sake of humility. He's humbling him for the ministry that he has for him. Right? How many people is Peter going to tenderly shepherd if he thinks that he's better than all of them? None. How many people is he going to show compassion and patience toward as they struggle with their sin when he thinks that he's the only one who really follows Jesus? None. So what's Jesus doing? Jesus is using his failure to fit him for ministry. Peter, I want you to be a tender, Christ-like shepherd. And I'm not going to let you stay in your pride. So I'm going to humble you so that you can enjoy the ministry that I have for you. Christ uses failures to fit us for ministry, which is an amazing thought. I mean, think about this. Satan came to Jesus and asked him, I want Peter to be sifted like wheat. Satan to Jesus, that was Satan's demand. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. Now that's amazing in and of itself, that Christ prays for him so that his faith doesn't fail. But what could Christ have said? Christ could say, you don't get to touch Peter. 
You don't allow any temptation to come to him. You just, you get out of here. I'm going to protect him. Nothing, nothing's going to happen to him. No temptation. He's mine. But Christ didn't do that. Christ let Peter fail. Christ let Peter be tempted by Satan. And he fell to that temptation. And what Satan wanted to use to discourage the faith of Peter, Christ used to equip Peter to be more fruitful in ministry. Peter wasn't going to love anybody the way he was. And yet Christ knows how to use even failures to fit us for ministry. Have you seen that in your own life? I mean, how many times has Christ let you fall flat on your face? Not to shame you, but to change you. Right? Maybe it's in small ways. Maybe it's you're exasperated with the kids, you're impatient with your spouse, and you think, I can't believe I let those things happen again. And what are you reminded of? The patience, the compassion, the way that the Lord loves you. And what happens? You begin to change. Christ lets your failures shape you so that you're, you don't fail in the same way over and over and over again. Now, it might be that some of your failures are even more catastrophic. I mean, sometimes sin has devastating, even earthly consequences. I mean, you may have lost your family. You may have lost years of your life in prison. You might think that there's no way that Christ can use me. But that's not true. He's not done with you. He doesn't know how to waste even your failures. He can't waste them if you're his. The only thing he knows how to do is to use even your failures to make you more effective for his ministry. Now, don't go be the one who wants to go out and run around and look for failures, right? Don't be that guy. But trust this. Even if you have catastrophic failures in your past, Christ isn't going to waste them. He's going to use them to make you fruitful in your ministry to others. Now, maybe some of you don't have catastrophic failures in your life, but maybe you have weaknesses in your life. Maybe certain ways that God has made you and you don't quite like the way that he made you. I mean, maybe you think like, why am I like this, Lord? Why did you make me like this? Why did you make me someone that doubts about things? Or why did you make me an anxious person? Why are you allowing me to still deal with these kinds of things? Well, who's going to be a more sympathetic counselor to people who struggle with the very same issues than someone who has seen Christ use them even in spite of their weaknesses? Maybe you've been through just experiences you wouldn't wish on anyone else. I know Mother's Day is a great day of a lot of joy for most mothers, most people, but Mother's Day can also be a hard day for those that maybe have wanted children, but for whatever reason, God hasn't given them that blessing. And you might think, why, God, did you allow this to happen this way? It's like, well, maybe he wanted you to be a spiritual mother to children that you couldn't have been had he given a different direction to your life. Or maybe he wanted you to walk alongside people that go through the same struggles so that you can love them and show them the love of Christ. Maybe your marriage fell apart. Maybe it wasn't even primarily any fault of your own. And you might think, Lord, why did you let this happen? 
maybe to make you someone that can come alongside someone else when the same thing happens to them and can show the love of Christ to his sheep when they need it the most. You know, there are no easy answers to these questions when you ask, why, Lord? But trust this, Christ loves you. And Christ loves his sheep. And he will not waste your failures. He will not waste your weaknesses. He'll not waste your experiences and your trials and your circumstances. He'll use all of it for your good and the good of his sheep. Trust it. I mean, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 as an example of Christ using failures to fit someone for ministry. 1 Peter chapter 5. You think about the book of 1 Peter, you think, who's writing this book? I mean, he's talking about submitting to government, loving those that don't deserve to be loved. And then, think. here's how Peter envisions his shepherding ministry now. 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. What does that sound like? Sounds a lot like feed my sheep. How should you do it? Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. How would Peter have shepherded had he never fallen? Not like this. He would have domineered. He would have been impatient. He would have wondered what's wrong with these sheep, that they don't do these things. But Christ changed him. Verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Who wrote these words? The the head chopper guy? That, That Peter wrote these words? How did that Peter write these words? Christ used his failure to shape him as a shepherd. And he'll use even your failures to shape you to be someone that loves Christ more and loves his sheep more. So the love of Christ fits you for ministry, but also the love of Christ motivates your ministry. How does, back in John 21, how does Jesus refer to his people? My lambs, my sheep. They're his. Why do we love them? Because he loves them, right? Or 1 John says, we love because he first loved us. His love enables our love. We can't love like the the way that Christ is describing unless Christ loves us. How do we love apart from the love of Christ? Well, Toyota used to have this slogan, right? It was called, I love what you do for me. And that's really how we loved apart from Christ, right? I'll love you as long as I love what you're doing for me. But as soon as you stop doing what I like... I'm not going to love you anymore. And yet Jesus is calling Peter and all of us to love people the way that he has loved us. Not for what they can do for us, but because they're precious to him. 
right? They're precious to us because they're precious to him. We love them because they are his sheep. And don't miss that. His love has to be the foundation of our love. If we go out there wanting to, like, I'm going to love people just like Christ loved me, if we do that in our own strength, how long do you think that's going to last, right? I mean, some of us probably won't make it out of the parking lot trying to love people in our own strength. But if the love of Christ is motivating our love for the sheep, we will do it even when they're not loving us in return. I mean, love sounds great until someone doesn't love you back, and then it's like, well, forget you, sheep. I don't want anything to do with you. No, Christ says you love them not because of what they do for you. You love them because they're mine. And I love them. So you love them. And so Christ, the love of Christ is what motivates and enables our ability to love the sheep. And then next, the love of Christ defines your ministry. How do you love the sheep? What does Christ say? Verse 15, feed them. Verse 16, tend them. What do you call a person who feeds and tends sheep? A shepherd. What kind of ministry does Christ want you to have to your brothers and sisters in Christ? A shepherding ministry. All of you have a shepherding ministry. You are all responsible, and not just responsible. Here, it's like, it's a privilege. You should see it as a privilege. You all have the privilege of being called to shepherd the flock of God that's around you. Now, we might not all do it in the same way, but it's a responsibility that we all get to enjoy. Shepherding the flock. Or Jesus said it this way, John 13, 34, love one another just as I have loved you. There's a lot of definitions for what passes for love these days, but this is the definition that we use. We love people the way that Christ loved us. How did he love us? He shepherded us. He cared for us. He laid down his life for us. I think of John 1, verse 14, right? that John's writing that we beheld the glory of the Son of God, glory full of grace and truth. And that's how we love. Christ was full of grace and truth. I think for us, most of us tend toward one side or the other. We can be gracious lovers that, oh, well, you know, we'll love you no matter what you do, and we'll love you and love you, but maybe we'll never speak the truth into your life that's a little scary. You might get mad at us. Now, some of us might be the other side. I'll speak the truth into your life whether you want to hear it or not, and we don't tend to be the gracious, shepherding kind of speaking that Jesus does. But Jesus, of course, is the perfect combination of both grace and truth. He knows when to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> and he knows when to ask him tenderly, do you love me? full of grace and truth. Ask God to help you love people like that. That he would help you be full of grace and truth. Think about the side that you tend toward and ask God to help you with the other side. That if I'm gracious, help me to also be truthful. That if I'm too truthful, help me to also be gracious. Love people the way that Christ loved you. Now what is this going to look like? 
Well, I think in two different ways here, this is what it looks like. In a daily sense, this is that you're like Christ, that you're listening to and responding to the needs of the people that are around you, right? Whether it's the woman at the well or Nicodemus coming by night or people coming to him to get healed, he just responded to the needs of those around him. He was a tender shepherd. And so we want to be the same way. We want to ask people how they're doing. We want to listen when they answer that question. Sometimes we might have to ask that question three times, like Jesus does here. You ask someone how they're doing, they might say, oh, good. You ask them again, how are you really doing? No, I'm fine. I'm, everything's great. You ask them a third time, and then they start crying in front of you. That's sometimes how it is. But we want to be tender shepherds to one another. Ask people how they're doing. Pray for one another. Bring meals to each other. Take someone to coffee. These should be the regular things that Christ people do because it's the regular way that Christ cares for us. But also think about it in terms of formal ministry. Think through how Christ has shaped you to be a particular blessing to this church body. You know, there are lots of needs in this church body, especially coming back from COVID, everything's sort of a little bit in disarray as far as like ministries go. And so think, how can I be serving in this body of Christ? There are so many needs that we have in children's ministry. So if you love children, if you want to be invested, if you want to be spiritual fathers and mothers to the children in this church, you could get involved in children's ministry. We have someone upstairs who's serving, getting over pneumonia, serving in the AV department because we desperately need people up in the AV department. We even joked about instead of an altar call today, we're just going to have you go right up to the AV department and sign up. If the Lord's moving on your heart, that's what you can do. Go sign up to help out with AV department. But in all those things, what do you think? You're thinking, God has gifted me. God wants me to help shepherd his sheep. And you're at this local church. So think about ways that you can do that, that you can love the saints that are here. And again, remember, this kind of service is for everyone. You might think, well, I failed in the past. It doesn't matter, right? How long after Peter's denials did Jesus restore him? Like 40 years? You know, Peter, like, come back to me and then just keep, you know, living it out. And then maybe, maybe after a few years, you can start serving again. Nope. 40 months? You know, maybe just a couple years, you know, you can start serving. No. Less than 40 days. Peter denied Christ three times. Less than 40 days later, Jesus says, get back involved in ministry. Christ wants you serving his sheep. Get back to serving. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. when Jesus talks about Peter denying him, he says this, When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. When should Peter get back to serving? As soon as he turned. As soon as you turn, you go back and you strengthen your brothers. Again, you might have failed Christ so many times, and you might think, I can never serve him again. Not true. As soon as you turn, you can go back to serving Christ and loving his people. And so pray about that. Ask the Lord, what ways can I serve this church body? Jesus is recommissioning Peter to service in this text. But John's using this to recommission all of us to service. Right? All of us have failed Christ. And all of us need to know that even when you fail him, he'll forgive you and he still wants 
to use you. The love of Christ produces not only love for Christ, but love for his people. And so join him in his ministry of shepherding people. And then lastly, the love of Christ produces a desire to follow him wherever he leads. Look at verses 18 and 19. The love of Christ focuses your life on the glory of God. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. These are haunting verses. I mean, Peter's telling, or Jesus is telling Peter, you know, when you were young, it's like you dress yourself, you do whatever you want to do, you go all the places that you want to go. But a day is coming when you're going to get old. And someone is going to stretch your hands out and put on you something and they're going to take you to somewhere that you don't want to go. What's Jesus talking about? Peter's going to be crucified, just like Christ. And look at John's comment on this in verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to what? Glorify God. Jesus didn't tell Peter this so he would just know what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus told him this so that Peter would know the way that he's going to glorify God. How does a martyr's death glorify God? Well, what clearer way to show the value of the love of Christ than to be willing to give your life for it. His love is better than life, the psalmist says. I mean, what a reversal for Peter. The guy who couldn't confess Christ to a servant girl around a fire will now be one that'll die for the love of Christ. John 13, 36, another haunting verse. Peter says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow after. Peter will get his desire. He will follow Christ wherever Christ leads. Peter thought that was going to lead to political victory, but now Peter sees that it leads to death for the glory of God. And Peter is willing to go. The love of Christ produces a desire to follow him no matter where it takes you, even when it takes you to places that you don't want to go. I'm guessing most of us, we're probably not going to be called to give our lives for Christ. We're not going to die for Christ, most likely. But will we trust the love of Christ when it takes us to places we don't want to go? When we have pain in our life, and maybe that pain will have no end in this life. When we suffer sickness, or someone else that we love suffers 
sickness. When we go through trials and even death, will we be able to trust the love of Christ that this is going to glorify God? That our greatest desire in these moments of our life will not be simply relief from pain or relief from death, but that will be that God would be glorified and that the love of Christ would be known. Now, don't get me wrong. If I get sick, I'm going to pray for healing. I'm going to ask you to pray for healing. But may it be our conviction and our desire that even if God doesn't heal, that we'll trust him, that he's using it, that he's using it to glorify himself. Sometimes these are the very things where the love of Christ will be on full display to the world. When was the love of Christ on fullest display during his ministry? In his agony, on the cross, right? He prayed repeatedly in his ministry, Father, the time has come. Glorify your name. What did Christ mean? When is it that God's going to glorify his name? When he died on the cross. When might it be when Christ wants to bring glory to the Father and make his love known in our lives? It could be in those moments of pain and sickness and even death. And may we trust Christ in those moments and follow him even when it's to places that we wouldn't want to go. Because we care more about his glory than our life. And why would you do those things? Why would you do that? Why would you be willing to go to those places? Because the love of Christ has changed you. And if the love of Christ has changed you, it's like, I'll go anywhere. Right? I'll do anything. I'll go to the ends of the earth if that's where Christ wants to lead me. But not just that. I won't just go to the ends of the earth. I'll go to the cubicle down the hall if that's where Christ leads me. I'll go to the neighbor across the street if that's where Christ leads me. I'll go to the person who's sitting by themselves in this service right now. I won't let them kind of sneak out the back door like I know they might be wanting to. I can't do those things. I don't want to do those things. I want to get in people's way because God got in my way. I want to show people the love of Christ. The amazing thing is when you want to do those things, there's no arm twisting involved. I don't have to come up here and twist your arm to get you to do these things. When you see the love of Christ, there's nothing that's going to stop you from doing these things. Right? The love of Christ compels us. No arm twisting to live like this. The love of Christ compels us. So are you willing to let God use your life for his glory? I hope it's your heart to say, like, I don't want to live for myself. After what Christ has done for me, how could I live for myself? I want to live for you. The love of Christ has changed me. It's given me a love for him. It's given me a love for his sheep. It's even given me a love to go to places where I don't, wouldn't otherwise want to go. So go to the love of Christ. Always go back to the love of Christ. If you feel like your love for Christ is waning, what should you do? Go back to the love of Christ. Go back to the cross. Think about what he's done for you, and it will produce love for him. If your love for the sheep is waning, if they're not tender little, you know, lovely sheep, and they're more the annoying, they kind of are biting me, and I don't like them anymore, what do you do? Go back to the love of Christ. How did he love you? And you'll love them. Where do you find 
Where do you go when you find yourself not wanting to go to certain places? Go back to the love of Christ. And if it means the love of Christ is on display, I'll even go to the places I don't want to go. Christ invites you at the end of verse 19. John, the author of this gospel, invites you, follow Christ. Follow him to the cross. See him pay your sins on the cross. See the Father accept that payment and raise him from the dead. Your sins are paid for. If you've never followed Christ, if you've never known the love of Christ, come to him. He will forgive you. He will love you. And your life will never be the same. His love changes everything. And if you do know him, never let the cross get in the rearview mirror. Keep the cross central. He loves you. And that will stir your love for him. It will stir your love for others. It will even help you to go to places you don't want to go. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. And we're so thankful for the love of Christ. We're thankful for Peter. And the fact that he failed in such dramatic ways because it reminds us that when we fail in ways similar or otherwise, that you'll always welcome us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for paying for our sins. And thank you that that love has changed everything in our lives. Thank you that we love you. Thank you that we love your sheep. Thank you that you're even, you carry us even to places where we don't want to go. Use us this week. Use us in the years ahead. May we always be a people that are eager to love because you've loved us and eager to show others the love of Christ, again, because you've loved us. This invitation is for all of us. May we all enjoy this kind of ministry and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.